0: was just the girls they passed around an apple and they had them all take a bite of the apple right and by the end you know they were like each bite represented a partner right so each time that you bite an apple that's the time that you had sex and then by the time you get to the end it's just that core right and they're like and now look at this would anyone he holds up the apple stem would anyone want to marry this and i'm (gasps) sitting there and i'm like that happens what 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 the fuck (laughs)
1: Thank you for tuning in. We are Sex Positivity Unfiltered, um, and we are so excited for today's episode and to share with you, and we are going to talk about sex positivity and the impact on mental health and kind of just impact on who we are as a whole, so I can't wait to get into it.
0: Oh yeah, no, I'm excited. It's episode number two, so it should be really good. Um, So as far as the impacts of mental health and sex positivity, I know you have probably a lot of uh, a lot of input but just to just to bring it home back from episode one Mm -hmm. as far as sex positivity goes the four major impacts that I've seen are a emphasizes safe sex Mm -hmm. Um, there's it embraces differences in the uh, your sexual your sexual identity and your lifestyle it encourages sexual pleasure and experimentation and it advocates for comprehensive and truthful sex education and then one thing that I wanted to bring up that it doesn't necessarily isn't like the four pillars that you see all the time is that it's very much a feministic movement, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very much equal rights for everybody including men, which was a big um big impact that a lot of people don't seem to really talk about very often.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely everything you said is is true. And when I think about this with within my career and my role as a therapist, I think when we start to view sexuality as a healthy part of our development, I think that makes us healthier people as a whole, you mm-hmm. know, with, um, cause I have a lot of clients that might have a lot of anxiety, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and it can easily be rooted in this like suppression of who they are as a sexual person, whether it's being afraid to come out as who they, what like sexual orientation, um, things that they like sexually, even being able to talk about sex if it's not been allowed, like that's really uncomfortable and it can create this, you know, block with their partner. And so, yeah, when I look, about, when I look at like sex positivity movement and everyone being allowed to just be who they are mm-hmm. <laughs> as an individual and show up authentically, especially in a sexual way, it very much correlates to being a healthy person overall and having improved mental health. So I think it very much matters. Any, If there's any um, like what I think about like professionals in my field, professionals who are really uncomfortable with sex or who are sex negative or who will not talk about that with clients and that does happen, they might say like, yeah, I don't talk about that with clients.
0: Really? Oh,
1: yeah, it happens. And it kind of says it's like this bad, dirty thing to talk about. And so we're not going to go there. Yeah. But then you're missing this whole part of who the person is and, When you have a client, I just think you have to look at clients holistically. Every part of them matters in the context of whatever brings them to your office. And so that's, I mean, I think that's why I think this movement helps. It like matters in this context. Do you get what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. One of the things whenever I was listening back to our last episode that really resonated with me was the fact that from the time we're being raised, we're basically, most of us, taught these very sex negative um, uh concepts where mm-hmm. you don't talk about sex it's shameful you don't tell your period you don't talk about your period in front of men um you know the you don't you don't even give your genitals the right names you give them nicknames hoo-ha, or, or twat Cookie, or yeah, like whatever yeah. whatever flower whatever it is whatever you grew up with which Go ahead and in the comments, go ahead and tell me what you grew up <laughs> calling your genitals. I really want to know. Um, but yeah, so we're we're taught all of these things of like shame, repress, don't talk about, let's not do this. And then you become an adult to where those are those are now sex is something that you need to do in order to procreate. Because once there's there's like a line where you hit somewhere in your 20s where it stops becoming you shouldn't be having sex. And it becomes you should be focusing now on finding a partner, having sex, procreating, giving Mm -hmm. your mother, grandchildren, you know, things like that. And it's so hard to do the switching.
1: Yeah, because it's not it's not really a switch like people think it's going to be. And especially in the context of religion. I mean, we're in the South and religion is like in Texas. Religion is very prominent. Right. A lot of people are religious. And there is that belief like. There's this taboo, and, like, I'm, I'll speak to, like, my clients. I ask pretty much all of them, what was the sex education you got? Was it talked about in the home? Usually the answer is, no education, wasn't talked about at home, learned about it from my friends or or saw stuff online or saw magazines or whatever. The silence is very loud. Yes. When it's not talked about, the silence says... This is dirty. We don't discuss that in this house. You also shouldn't be doing it. Um, Wait until you're married. Yep. So it's like shame, shame, shame. You get married and suddenly you can have sex now. And, you know, it, it can go a few different ways. I mean, some people... Can't wait, and maybe they get married too young. Yes, <laughs> because just they want let, to. They want to rush into it. Mm. They want to get married already. Like I'm ready, right out of high school. Let's get married, and <clears throat> that can work out. Sometimes it doesn't. But then it can go the other way, where when you do get married and it's not a switch for you, and sex is really kind of wrapped up in shame, that's when all the sexual anxiety really starts. Because now you have this spouse that wants to have sex with you, and sex for you is like holy shit, this is terrifying. And I'm so uncomfortable that I don't want to do anything. Right. And so it's like, when it's not talked about, I think people, I think people avoid uncomfortable topics because it's easier. It's like that instant relief, like, Oh, thank God we don't have to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with it eventually.
0: And when you do, you know, it is unfortunate if it's all wrapped up in shame. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's that was very much the upbringing I was given. And don't get me wrong. My mother is very progressive for her her upbringing Mm -hmm. and how she was taught. We we weren't allowed to call our genitals any nicknames like we Mm -hmm. had to address it by the scientific terms. Mm -hmm. Um, She showed us about diseases and pregnancy and all those things up front. I knew how procreation was um, how it happened as early as, like, five or six. Like, I, I knew the scientific parts of it. Never grew up around shame around that area. But once I hit, like, 13, for when boys came into the picture, then the what I was being told, how I was being raised, shifted very much so into a... We don't we don't talk about certain subjects around males. We don't um, we don't share certain aspects of our personal life with other people, especially not your mother um, type thing. So, yeah, no, that's very much a normal, common upbringing here, especially in the South. And I was very progressive. Most of my friends didn't get any type of sex talk, any type of sexual education. I was the heathen who was explaining everything to them in, you know, fifth, sixth grade.
1: Yeah. Kids are talking about it. Kids and teens are talking. Like, if you think your kid isn't, I promise you they are. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so you might as
1: well be the one talking to them. And there's always an age-appropriate way to do it. Of course. I'm not the expert on that. I don't have any kids. But there's always an age-appropriate way. Like, depending on how old they are, you can have a talk. That is going to make sense for like where they are developmentally. Yes, that's gonna that's going to help them. Um, and I think like you mentioned, um, like when boys started coming into the picture. But you're married to a woman, and yes. so I'm I'm, yeah. men- I'm mentioning that because, especially here, but in a lot of places, sex is very. When we do talk about sex, it's very heteronormative. It's like oh, yeah. male, female, <laughs> penis and vagina. That's yeah. what sex is.
0: Yeah. No way in hell would we have queer sex education here in Texas. No. No, And
1: this and it's unfortunate because we should be having that, but I can't even imagine that like in a million years, unfortunately. Um, but I mention that because there is no representation for queer kids. Like even if you get sex education at school or at home and it's heteronormative, I would imagine if I'm like putting myself in, let's say, a queer teen's shoes. And I'm only interested in other girls. And the only thing I'm seeing is like penis and vagina. I would think I would be wondering, well, what is sex for me? Like, where's the line? Like, where's the line between like, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about like being a virgin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, am I still a virgin? Like, what does that mean? I mean, I I would just imagine that's really confusing. Virginity, I think. I think the whole concept of virginity is bullshit. I'm just gonna say that right now. Like, I think I have a lot to say about that, but I'm I'm using that language because what we hear. Yes. Like, are you still a virgin or not? No,
0: it's one of the main questions of high school. Is you know that your loss of your virginity? Is, yeah, uh, it's like maybe, something
1: yeah. you you lose or something you give away, and yeah. I just think yeah, it's like the whole purity culture thing. Um, and you know, like teenagers will feel a lot of shame about that if. If what they've learned is don't have it until you're married Mm -hmm. and they quote unquote give in and have sex with another teenager because they want to. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I've heard stories from clients where there's an immediate guilt after.
0: Oh, of course. Like it can
1: feel good and then as soon as it's over. Yes. Guilt, shame, doom Dirty. shouldn't have done this. I'm never gonna tell a soul.
0: Yeah. I mean yeah. So gosh. I'm I'm actually a little curious now that we're speaking about it. What mm-hmm. was your sex education where, where you were? And what <laughs> what area did you grow up in?
1: I grew up in Texas in South Texas. Like okay. near the corpus area. Okay. Um, no sex education at home. It was very much like Just don't do it. Okay. You know, but I almost don't even remember my parents saying that. It was almost just kind of like a given, like, you're too young to be having. But you know, when you're like 15 or 16, you're not too young. (laughs) Like, my friends who were, I started having sex when I was 16, and all my friends were having it before then. Yeah. So when there's like, oh, they're too young, I remember thinking, like,
0: it's already happening. Sorry. (laughs) You have not
1: been to school with me. (laughs) We are not too young. That's funny. It's happening now. Um, what about in
0: school did they sit you down know? it was
1: I have a specific memory <laughs> like I don't know why this stands out to me no actually I know exactly why it stands out to me um, I'm gonna get real personal here for a second so just anyone listening um, the education I got it was by the softball coach who was a woman okay she was very uncomfortable talking about sex. You could tell she did not want to be in that position of being like the sex ed teacher, but she just got thrown into it because, like, I guess no for one some else reason wanted. it's, it's a,
0: always it's a, a gym teacher. Yes. it's always the health teacher, it's gym the teacher, the baseball whatever. Coach. Yeah,
1: it's, the, it's someone like sports, athletic I'm related. Like what?
0: How does that correlate? But okay, I don't <laughs> know. So it's a football coach,
1: and she was given the education, and I think the education was like. Of Like a reproductive video. It really wasn't education. It was kind of like, here's what reproduction is and here's what a period is. And like, that was pretty much it, right? Hmm. So like, is that really sex ed or is that more reproduction ed? But something I remember her saying, and I don't know why she said this. Maybe one of the kids in my class was like joking or something. And she, I remember her saying, I don't know why anyone would have sex while you're on your period. That's disgusting. I remember it because I was already having sex with my boyfriend at the time, and we had sex while I was on my period, and I liked it. <laughs> so when she hey. said when she said that, I remember feeling like, "Oh my god, I can't tell anyone
0: <laughs> that because like I'm okay. hearing
1: from the teacher how it's disgusting gross. that yeah, is." And like, so she said it so confidently that I was like,
0: "I guess I'm that's ne- not something we're supposed I'm to do." I'm never
1: gonna tell a so, and I don't really care. I mean, now that I'm older, I don't. No, I'm interested in having sex on my period. But, like, I was 16, and I was just really curious. And it was, like, this thing that I wasn't supposed to be doing, which made it way more fun to do. (laughs) Like, because you're not supposed to. And so we were just – I was having sex all the time. So did you
0: not get sexual education until 16? Or was yeah, it provided before? It was
1: not provided. So it wasn't until, until it, high school? It was not until high school. Well, and I was like a junior.
0: Wow. There was
1: nothing. I, if someone had proof of something different, I wouldn't believe them. Because I do not remember a single thing of it. Were until
0: you then. separated boys, girls, or was it all one cohort? I
1: think it was all one cohort. Okay. Yeah, okay. it was At all, least all, all together. were together. Yeah. But yeah, I remember specifically. I was oh, I was already having sex when she said that, which is why it, like, sticks out to me so much. So <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just wild. And there's so much that goes into, I guess, really good comprehensive sex education. One, there should be education around, like, if you're queer, what does sex look like for you? Because it's not, it's not no. just penis and vagina. And something... Um, that my clients probably hear me say a lot (laughs) and I say a lot is like the language around this. A lot of my clients, um, like particularly like straight couples, when they say sex, I know they mean intercourse. Like, Oh, we haven't had had sex in a month. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? I will ask what they mean, but I already kind of know what they mean. I'm like, what do you mean? Like intercourse? Like, yeah, intercourse. Cause if they have let's say oral sex two weeks ago, they're not counting that as right. But the language I use is like, I don't even use the word foreplay anymore. I'm like, maybe foreplay is like kissing. Okay. Maybe I would categorize that. But like, like, gen, anything involving like genitals, like oral sex, all of that is sex. And then there's intercourse. That's how I say it. So they're like, foreplay. I'm like, you mean sex? <laughs> you mean oral sex? You mean, like, what do you really mean? Got it. Okay. Because people do say foreplay. And they mean everything but intercourse. And yes. Then once you have intercourse, now you're having sex. Yes. Yeah. And I don't like that. I want it, I'm like, the whole experience can be a sexual experience. So, anyways, I'm just
0: no, giving I, my I'm, distinction on I love that you pointed that out because there's there's a ton of queer experiences where we we will have um we will have a sexual experience with someone who identifies as straight and they completely discount the experience because there's no sexual penetration. There's no intercourse. Yes. Um, at all. So to them, they you didn't really you didn't have sex. But in the queer community, to that queer person, that could have easily been like the most intimate thing that they would yes. ever do. So yeah,
1: yes. Unfortunately, absolutely. And I and what I think about when you say that is um, I've worked with a lot of male clients that have erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And they'll call it erectile dysfunction. I like to say, I like to categorize it as more of a disappointment and not a dysfunction. And and I want to explain like what I mean by that. Like I think erectile dysfunction is real. And especially when there's something medical going on, right? Like if you have like diabetes and there's issues like with your nerve endings and it's making it, it's making it hard to have an erection. Or if there's like a tear in your tissue that leads... That leads blood that gives you an erectile There's like issues like that. Like erectile dysfunction can be real. Usually what I see in my office is a man will have an erectile disappointment one time. And it freaks them out so much that every time they have sex after, they psych themselves out. Oh, they go yeah. in going, oh my God, now I'm worried because like I got to be hard. And so I'm going to like really focus on like having an erection and it creates so much anxiety that that anxiety ends up being the block that keeps him from having an erection and then it happens again and then it happens again and then it happens again. And so then it's like, I have a problem. I have erectile dysfunction. And I always have to question, is it really a dysfunction or was it like you got disappointed one time and because sex is only intercourse, you're a failure because you couldn't get hard. That's usually how they interpret it. A lot of men will interpret it that way. Like, I'm not doing my job. Literally, yeah. they literally yeah. they will say, I'm not doing my job because I couldn't be hard.
0: Oh, poor guy. It's like, it's kind of, it's Your job awful. is to get her off, bro. Like, that's yeah, really like, it's
1: awful. <laughs> and I'm like, you can have so much pleasure without an erection. Yeah. And usually the way I get them to get out of that, like, anxiety cycle mm. is I will kind of challenge them, like, I want you to have sex and I don't want you to even want to have an erection. Like I want you to think about it so little that you're focused on the other parts of your body that are enjoyable and you're focused on your partner's body and what's enjoyable to them. And I guarantee you, if you get in that mind, sp- that headspace, your erection will come naturally. I like that. And it okay. does happen. Okay, good. It'll come back naturally because they're not thinking about it so much.
0: No. um, Yeah. I love that because – there there's been a quote that's always stuck with me when it comes to happiness. Sorry about the the weird tangent quote, but the quote is happiness is much like an orgasm. You know, if you think about it too much, it goes away. Yes. Type thing. So I kinda attribute it same thing to like you're just having your body perform if you if you're overthinking about it. Yeah. Doesn't always happen. Cause I do I I've found that with an orgasm. If you if you if you're thinking about trying to get there. And that's all you're thinking about. A lot of times, it just it doesn't happen as naturally as if you just focused on the pleasure your body's having, and then it just happens really nicely, organically.
1: One thing I did want to say is that um, men can have an orgasm even if they don't have an erection.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I
1: always like to give that little tidbit education that you can have an orgasm, you can come even if you're not hard.
0: And with their without their prostate being, um, I'm assuming. Because I've seen that before, like in certain videos, where mostly in gay sex videos, where the bottom is orgasming at the same, so he's obviously ejaculating at the, mm-hmm. at and he's getting penetrated, um, and I don't think he's hard from my thoughts and views, um, but even without his prostate being stimulated, you're saying that they mm-hmm. can still have an orgasm yeah. without being hard. Okay,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, okay. interesting. No. Yeah,
1: and the the. The focus on orgasm, like, even for women, um, it does create some anxiety. Like, I've heard heard before, like, if you're, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but, like, if your partner is giving you oral sex, Mm -hmm. I heard a lot of what, for my clients at least, that if they feel like they're taking too long to have an orgasm, they'll start to kind of psych themselves out. Yes. Like, it's taking too long. They're having to work too hard. I need to, like, hurry up and get, as soon as you start thinking that way, it's like, another block like instead of just enjoying the ride and like letting it feel good it just creates so much anxiety and then it's not a it's not the best experience anymore
0: yeah because for some reason i feel i feel like men get berated if they come too quickly right mm-hmm. not berated but um, they're not supposed like it's to look
1: down upon yeah there you yeah. Go. if they come yeah. too quickly
0: and on the flip side, women are looked down upon if they don't come quickly enough, right? Yeah. If they if you're putting as if you're as a partner putting work down there, and it takes a really long time, you know the person down there. Um, I don't know if, as a woman, you have a fear of them complaining. Yes. Almost. Yes. Yeah. So I can, I can, I can understand that because, especially when I was younger and I was still figuring things out, it took forever for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and obviously, my partner, we were both new. We were both figuring each other, the women's body and each other's body out at the same time. So yeah, there were a lot of fumbles. There were a lot of things that we had to self discover. There was nobody kind of guiding us. So yeah, I remember. I can very much. Um, relate to any woman who's like, yeah, I I will psych myself out because it's just taking longer than it should be, right? And I don't want to keep them down there. I'm sure their jaw hurts or whatever it is. You
1: always think of something. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. That's a really good, uh, interesting point. Like, women worry to take too long. Men worry that they're going to come too fast. And what's so funny, and this is why education is so important, um, I've heard, this didn't, I don't think this was like, one of my clients, but I like, I think I probably heard this story through a colleague. Um, but they had a client who was like, I have premature ejaculation. And in the, in the DSM, like the diagnostic statistics manual, which we use as therapists, there is a diagnosis of premature ejaculation, but it's like, I, I'm not getting the, I probably will not get the Number is exactly right. But it's categorized like 0 to 10 seconds, 10 to 20 seconds, 20 to 30 seconds. Like we're talking like a very small amount of time. And then, you know, you come and then it could be premature ejaculation. But I think this colleague had a client who was like, I have premature ejaculation. And so he asked, of course, like, well, how long, like how long are you lasting before you finish? I think his answer was like 10 minutes. (laughs) And it, it was like... You don't have have premature ejaculation. Like, you're just fine. You're just fine. The average is even shorter than that. And so, like, I always think about that example because the education is so important because without it, people will stress about things that are not problematic. You know what
0: I mean? Because there's just this... Well, you should be having sex from, like, dusk till dawn. It's all the shows. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it should be lasting hours. And I'm like,
1: oh, my God. I mean, can you imagine? So... It's all these shoulds. It's all yeah. the shoulds. It should be this way, but I'm not doing it that way. So there's something wrong. Mm. And then, you know, they end up being a client of mine and it's like having to normalize there actually is nothing wrong. Oh, right? right. Can yeah. can you just
0: focus on what actually feels good and just like let it feel good. Wraps back to education. I wanna I wanna bring it back a little bit to the sex education because my sex education was um very I only had a if I can remember once maybe twice I might have had it twice Um, but my biggest my brain goes back to I want to say either third or fourth grade is when I had my sex education Um, and it really wasn't a sex education it was reproduction Mm, education or really puberty education they didn't even go into reproduction they mostly went into um, what happens to your body when you get your period and things like that Um, and they separated us boys and girls right and as I heard a comedian say that they're basically – this was a queer comedian – say that there's such a good joke there because the fact that they separated us boys and girls and then taught us about the reproductive um, organs of your gender, Kind, I'm sorry, that to me is a little bit of a queer sex education in the cell. Like, we're not teaching kids, you know, (laughs) um, about the other person's bodies and their needs. And God forbid you even mention – a clitoris because I don't think there are any sex education oh. where a clitoris is a, where yeah. Anyone talks about pleasure. Yeah,
1: no, it's not pleasure based mm-hmm. at all. It's like mm-hmm. a few little things sprinkled in. Here's how it looks. or Here's how it should look. And like, that's it. Right. Yes. We do yes. not talk about pleasure at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, when I think if I'm like looping it back into the impact on mental health, all of these shoulds and assumptions and, the way things should look. Give people so much depression and anxiety, so much. And imagine if you're having sex in a way that is against what it should be. Imagine the impact that's going to have on your life outside of sex too. Like if that area of your life is just so clouded with doom, I can't imagine you're going to feel like a whole person.
0: Oh no, I'm walking
1: through the rest of your life.
0: And it's so interesting because in when you're getting your sex education in high school, in those grammar years, even in college, like the your mind is on sex so much. Yes. So much. But you don't have the only the only references you have are either in the porn industry or what you see in the media, in the movies, what the you know, as far as like, you know, the men should be pursuing as many women as possible mm-hmm. and they should be having as much sex as possible and they should be lasting hours and hours and hours and be able to always, you know, she should, um, it, it's his job to provide her with an orgasm and that's, you know, that's that's his goal. Yeah. And then the woman is, it seems like we're brought up to not have any sex at all. Like you should never have sex before marriage. The only sex you should be having is to procreate um, when you, with your husband. And uh, And then on top of that, like we're not taught as women what to expect in the bedroom even like even by our peers like that's not even no and it's so intimidating when you first start having
1: sex it's so intimidating because you don't know what you're doing no you don't know what you're (laughs) doing there's no one to like accurately walk you through it yes and to me that's also really scary um because another piece of sex education and i talk about this a lot with clients too, especially like the couples I work with. It's so easy to have consent violations when you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're allowed to say yes or no to or what you should. It's all these shoulds. And so we kind of like freeze up and there's like all these consent violations that could be happening in your relationship and you don't even have the language to know that. And I think that happens especially to young people, minors, they're like the most vulnerable population and things will happen and they have no idea what is right what is wrong what i'm what what am i allowed to like what what could my boundaries even be you know and i think that has to be a part of sex education too but we can't teach that if we're not talking about it (laughs) right that's the really shitty part and i've had couples where they've had plenty of consent violations in the past and maybe they're still happening now um and there's a lot of it's a big gray area consent is not just yes no black and white Yes That's It what is very writing. it is very complex. <laughs> it is very complex. Um and yeah, I just think I just think there's so much there that we're not talking about, we're not teaching and it is impacting our health mentally but physically too. Oh yeah. You know, when when like if sex is only Penis and vagina intercourse. People will think they don't need protection any other kind of way, and that's like the best way to spread STDs.
0: Yeah, I'll give you that mm-hmm. all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it it's so interesting how so much of the protection and so much of the the non pregnancy, like the ability to prevent pregnancy, um, is is on the responsibility or it seems like on the, on the woman to make sure that she's protected and she's not going to contract any of these things. And it's very rarely, I mean, obviously guys are told that they should wrap up, but that's kind of where that stops.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When well, I would attribute that to purity culture, if we want to get like way back into it, like um, there is this myth, like, the myth of the hymen
0: oh, like yeah. <laughs> oh like if your hymen is
1: intact like it means that you're still a virgin the hymen like okay i just like wanna laugh because i think it's like the stupidest thing cuz you know there's like these checks like you'll, we'll check the female and if her hymen is still intact even if like you're a little bit older when your hymen is broken it could be from you know horseback oh, riding yeah, or, it could or be, like yeah. contact sport like whatever um, but purity culture is all about the woman being pure yeah. and like these checks are so violating and also like kind of disgusting because like, there's no way to check if men are pure. Mm. Yeah, It is all about right? the woman and you know, me, my overall point with purity culture, just meaning at one point in time, women were quite literally worth more if they were pure. And I think, and I think we bring that into today, like You're worth more if you're pure at the time of marriage. I don't think men really get that message the way that girls and women do.
0: Oh no, not at all. Well, and I that kind of correlates also to the porn industry. You're where you're worth way more if these are your first scenes. Yes. If you're, you know this is the first yes, yes. Versus if you've been in the industry for a really long time, then obviously you're not gonna get paid the same as you would when you first came, you know, into mm-hmm. the industry. So I could see that. Um and I'm listeners right in. If you're a doctor, if you're in the medical field can you explain a little bit as far as, like, the hymen goes? Because I just had a um, my wellness checkup with my doctor. Me and my wife went together for the first time as a married couple, so mm-hmm. that was nice. I'm um, having someone else in the, the waiting room um, giving opinions on my health because uh, she's my wife. But anyway, <laughs> um, she asked us, because we're a lesbian couple, um, if... My partner's hymen had been broken. So that way she knew as far as when the pap smear was going to happen, mm. what what size speculum to use or how careful to be. So now I'm curious. Now I'm I'm really curious that we have that brought up yeah. in this conversation. So, yeah, write in doctors, please, medical professionals. I would love to hear what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah, now I want to go look more into this mm-hmm. because I do know about it. But now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, I should probably research this a bit more. But I think like... You know, going back to education and kind of the impact it has on us, I think a lot of education is also rooted in, like, everyone has sex and everyone enjoys sex. And I don't think that's necessarily true either. True, yeah. And I'm kind of going into asexuality and people who are asexual. Because talking with the sex positivity movement, I think people can definitely misconstrue what sex positivity is because they think it means like everyone should be promiscuous like everyone like pro casual sex we should be we should be promiscuous we should be out there we should be open that's not really what it's about it's about empowering you and however is true and authentic to you Mm -hmm. and the same goes for asexuality um and it's a spectrum like anything else like some asexual people they may just not experience sexual attraction to anyone, but maybe they still find pleasure in sex and want to have it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some people who don't want to have sex at all. Asexual may-
0: repulse, repulse. Yeah, they could yeah. be
1: they could be repulsed by it. Um, and those identities are true and valid and allowed, and you can have great relationships even if you don't have sex at all.
0: No, I'm really glad mm-hmm. you brought that up because one of the things when I was looking at the rebuttals as far as the sex positive movement and kind of what our clapbacks are or what people are saying why they wouldn't want to be a part of our movement. Um, A lot of it was the asexual community was saying how they just don't feel um, representative or they Mm -hmm. don't feel represented in the sex positivity movement because it it inherently has this uh, very promiscuous kind of outlook to Mm -hmm. it. Whereas the asexual community, I mean, that's not part of their lifestyle typically or it's not a major part of their lifestyle typically, so it's hard for them to want to join or say hurrah which yeah just like Lindsay said we're here to say you know the absence of sex is very much part of the individual as they want to have whatever type of sex you would like
1: yeah it's it's whatever your preference is it's what feels right for you and in my work as a as a sex therapist and a couples therapist anyone listening who would want to be a client one day and and this is even for all my current clients like when you come to work with me or any sex therapist, I I cannot promise that I'm going to help y'all have more sex because I think it's way more complex than that, right? Oh, if okay. Libidos are mismatched. One yes. partner wants to have more sex than the other. I say it's more complex because um, let's say that's the case where a couple comes in and they're not having sex a lot or as much as one partner would want. Um, if one of the partner starts to realize that they are asexual and maybe have never liked sex and maybe don't want to have sex anymore. I'm not going to push against that and say, Good. well, you're married. You got to have, no, it's like, whatever is true to you, we're going to have to figure out what that means for y'all in your relationship. It could mean the end of the relationship. It could mean opening the relationship. It could, I mean, there's like a few options here, but I'm never going to tell you what to do one way or the other. And so I always want people to know that. Cause I think, When you come and see a sex therapist, it's very intimidating because I think people assume I'm going to be in the role of like, yeah, let's get your libido higher. Yeah. yeah. I cannot promise that. And I'm not going to make that true if you're not ready for that, Mm -hmm. if you don't want that. If you do want to hire libido and there's blocks getting in the way, that's what I'm going to help you process. But, you know, I can't really guarantee. And so I kind of like to set that expectation up front because, like, I'm not trying to disappoint anyone but as soon as you start pushing someone.
0: You know, this is about your
1: exploration. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, it's like as soon as you start pushing someone and they feel that pressure, it's going to make them back off even more. Fair. Yeah. Right? So I think that's just a really important distinction to make.
0: Okay. Okay. I like that. On the topic of sex education, I do want to kind of bring up the um, your professional opinion on what you think about the fact that most of the sex education here in the U.S. is rooted in abstinence, and how we shouldn't be—we should be abstaining from sex—and the approach that they do this for is mostly for the fact that a, we need to be avoiding teen pregnancy, we need to be avoiding mm-hmm. diseases, we need to be avoiding any type of um, assault or anything like that to our kids or you know things like that, which I can understand. I get that thinking of it but I'm curious as far as like what the data shows or what, yeah.
1: Yeah. So the data shows abstinence only States have the highest rates of teen pregnancy. Interesting. It does not work. It does not work. Those places that are doing a better job of comprehensive sex education have less teen pregnancy than we do in Texas. So Hmm. one, the, 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 the numbers in the research show this isn't working. (laughs) So that's number one. Okay. I think At least here, I think there's a religious component to this. And I'm not trying to – anyone listening who is religious, I am not trying to offend you at all. I'm not, like, necessarily, like, anti-religion because I think religion and faith and spirituality, like, have its place. But they do tend to be, as a whole, relatively sex negative.
0: Yeah, until marriage.
1: Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So I think if I were to boil it down, the abstinence-only, like, message primarily being through the church – I think it boils down to control. Okay. Like, mm. we know you're probably going to have sex anyways, but if we can make you feel bad enough about it, we can control you more. Like, you're more vulnerable to the control that maybe the church wants to have as far as, like, lining its people up and, like, having them align with the beliefs that the church has. So – that's probably a complex conversation, and I don't necessarily mean, like, the person you know at your individual church is trying to control you. I'm talking about the institution as a whole. Mm. If you go down to it,
0: I think it's a control thing. Okay. Stay yeah. tuned, guys. We'll do a whole episode on <laughs> abstinence and yes. sex education. That's, a, that's interesting. Um, yeah, during the research, I did find out uh, that it wasn't until, which I think is Freaking crazy that it wasn't until May of 2021 that the Real Education and Access for a Healthy Youth Act, or RIA, I think is how Mm -hmm. that acronym goes, introduced a federal grant aimed to encompass truthful, non-judgmental, and inclusive sex education for youth. Um, to where they teach people to have an open conversation about healthy relationships, um, especially as a starting point for, like, the younger kids, you know, just teaching them uh, healthy relationships, teaching them boundaries, teaching them body autonomy, teaching them the ability to correctly name the parts of their bodies without nicknames, and also, obviously, inclusive education for members of the queer community. And the fact that that literally just happened Two, Two years, years ago, ago. It is crazy.
1: And it'll take like for that to even be enforced or go into effect. I mean, it's going to take years and years, you know, I mean, it's just going to take forever. And like when I think about um, like truthful sex education and like talking about purity culture and how girls and women really feel that I have seen or heard like examples in school using duct tape. As an example, like you see, the duct tape is sticky, right? Because it's never been used. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's Go never ahead. been used. But if you keep using it over and over, it's not sticky anymore. AKA, if you fuck too many times, you're going to be loose. <laughs> well, who are you saying that to? You're saying it to the people with who have a vagina exactly, in the room. You're yeah. not, like that doesn't apply to men. Men can't be loose. But women, your vagina can be loose. And you better watch that. Which is like not fucking true at all. Like, the science shows you don't just get looser the more you have sex. That makes no sense at all. But it's, like, interesting because, like, men don't want a woman who is loose but will get mad if they're rejected. So it's like, which one, like, do you want every girl you meet to sleep with you? Or do you want them to not be loose? Like, I don't know. It's just such an interesting concept. So I think about that example, I'm like,
0: That is specifically for girls. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. One of the... Okay, so I... It's crazy that we're having this... uh, Recording this now, but I literally listened to one of my favorite podcasts where um, they were talking... One of the girls who is from Canada, so not even in the U.S., but she grew up in a very religious town. And... Her gym teacher also gave the sex ed talk, right? Um, And they passed around the apple. Obviously, it was boys and girls. So this was just the girls. They passed around an apple and they had them all take a bite of the apple, right? And by the end, you know, they were like, each bite represented a partner, right? So each time that you bite an apple, that's the time that you had sex. And then by the time you get to the end, it's just that core, right? And they're like... And now look at this. Would anyone? He holds up the apple stem. Would anyone want to marry this? And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, that happens. What, what the, the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? Like, I would be in.
1: I don't have kids, but if I had a kid and they came home and said, you know, we did like the apple exercise, I would be. I would be storming up like. You best believe I would be storming up to that school.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay, so. When One thing before we before we you know log off i did want to just kind of go into the things that the impacts of the sex positive movement when i was looking it up i was seeing a lot of um, clapbacks a lot Mm -hmm. of people who were well the sex positive movement is bad because of this and one of the main things that i took away on it um is that A lot of people argue that the movement overlooks the ways in which sex can be exploitative or harmful, Mm. especially Mm -hmm. when you come to the commodification of sex, um, which is obviously a controversial topic and kind of... Is how we got brought up, right? The porn is good versus porn is not, which we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what your perspective is as far as like the exploitation goes.
1: Yeah, I think sex can totally be exploited, which is problematic. Yes. Um, and <clears throat> that's one of the principles I think is important to sexual health, to the sex positive movement, is that um, we're safe. Yes, and um, that there's consent, and that there's honesty, and there's shared values. Um, you're not being exploited. Um, taking all the all the necessary precautions to avoid um, like STDs, STI, unwanted pregnancy. Right. So these are like all the principles that always have to be at the core. Mm. And exploitation happens in many ways. And when I think about porn, for example. Mm-hmm. I think a way that it can be exploitive is um like for example if someone is on OnlyFans yes. and they're making money on OnlyFans they've got their content all great right if someone steals their content and posts it on Pornhub and they start making their own money and getting their own views for this material that is exploitation and it's also like theft of property right Oh of
0: course definitely
1: um and you'll hear it all the time like if someone on if that happened to someone on OnlyFans and they took like legal action, let's say. Good. Yeah. Um, let's say that happens, you will hear this rebuttal even against them. Like, well, you put it on the internet, this is just what happens. And wow. that is very much related to like if you were raped, but you were wearing that outfit, like weren't you kind of asking for it? it like very much reminds me of that, where it's like, that is fucking bullshit. Yeah. If I'm on OnlyFans. And the only people who can see my content are those who are paying for it. And you steal it and you post it somewhere else. And now all these people who I didn't consent to seeing my stuff can now see it. That is a consent violation. That is exploitation. Like, do you get what yeah. I mean? Like, it just, it ha- it can happen so easily. No, and this I, is and
0: this is my art. Yes, I charge for people to see my art, and if someone decides to steal it, is no different than some you know someone stealing from an artist or any other. Um, yeah,
1: yeah and exploitation. I think with the internet happens so much more.
0: Oh, now. definitely. Um. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I think um, I think it's a valid criticism or clapback, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Um. Because people should be concerned about that. You I know, agreed. like. Sex positivity doesn't mean that everyone is just open and careless. Like there is a lot of care that should be going into being sex positive.
0: Okay. Is okay. how I would say it. I like that. And then the second rebuttal that I saw pretty frequently um, was that although the mo- the movement in general does preach cultural diversity, it also uh, unfortunately gets criticized for the lack of inclusivity as um, it. The movement's largely made up of white, middle class, mm-hmm. cisgendered mm-hmm. activists who are also able-bodied as well.
1: Yeah. So. Um, that is such a valid criticism. Okay. I totally, like, I 100% agree. Like, okay. I think, I think we should always be looking at that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, like, look, I'm a perfect example. Like, I'm, like, oh, yeah, middle cisgendered, class, cisgendered white, white, white woman. Like, woman. Yeah. I'm the perfect example of someone who easily could be doing things that make this worse you know even within my advocacy Uh, because i don't know everything like kind of like i said earlier like when you're really being an advocate you're listening to those voices and these minority groups and if you're involved in like i'll bring up like porn industry and you want to do a really good job of it you're going to be including um disabled actors actors of color black actors trans actor i mean you're going to be including A diverse group of people. But not only including them, you're going to be listening to them. You can't just include them. Like, you can't just bring them in and they're going to do what you say. You have to be listening to them and their life experience and the feedback they're giving you. Because, like, when I think about, let's say, a black person, I don't know their experience and there's no way that I could know. Of course, yeah. And, like, who am I to not believe them? You know? Like, that's how I view it is, like, who am I to not believe you? What you tell me, I'm going to believe you. And that's that's what I'm going to help you. That's what I'm going to follow you in, right? So when I think about that kind of criticism,
0: I think it's true. Okay, okay. As yeah, a therapist, are you constantly trying to learn from your yeah. clients who are in the uh, minority categories? And
1: oh yeah, all okay. the time, all the time. And um, and I know, I know, I'm like using black people as like an example, and I've done that a few times today, but um. I do have black clients, but a lot of black clients want a black therapist. Of course, yes. And I totally get that. Like, I mm. would never – if if I had a black client tell me, this isn't working out, I would prefer a black therapist, I would never be offended by that. Okay. I would be like, I totally get it because – you're going to have this like shared life experience already. And that's going to help in the rapport that you have with your therapist. And if that's going to make your therapy better and more effective, like absolutely you should do that. And I don't think there's enough black therapists. I think there's a huge barrier there that keeps them from, from getting into this profession. And even when they are in this profession A lot of times they're not taken as seriously, oh, and that's like that's a huge bummer. And so there's not enough of them. No,
0: I can relate to the consumer who is trying to find someone who's more like minded like them. Because I, I recently actually uh, reached out for therapy, so I was on the BetterHelp Regain website and I was searching through, and they match them up for you, so you Mm -hmm. can kind of uh, put in what you prefer. Yeah, and I sure do. For the most part, I will check. Um, that I would prefer, which almost never happens, actually has yet to happen. Um, I would prefer a queer, you know, a queer therapist. Yeah. Just because they, yeah, they very much have similar experiences that I've gone through, they kind of understand that a little bit better. So yeah, yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's totally valid and I think consumers and clients deserve that. And if there's ever a problem where, you know, you're not able to find a queer therapist that's like in your area. You're not asking for too much. We as a profession are not providing a diverse enough pool of therapists, right? So I think it really starts there and I can go off on a whole tangent on that. But okay, like, okay. I, but I think about that rebuttal being so valid and something that
0: we should always be looking at okay yeah no i just wanted to def because we we already covered the asexuality which is also another rebuttal and um yeah. so yeah i wanted to cover what other people say as far as the reasons we shouldn't be sex positive which is still kind of tying back to we all should still be sex positive that's just my opinion <laughs> <laughs> yeah my opinion as okay. well <laughs> all right anything you'd like to bring up before we close out
1: um the last thing i want to bring up before we close out i'm going to go back to consent violations really quickly okay yes um when I am helping my clients be sex positive and I'm empowering them to own their sexuality and to know what they find pleasurable and to not feel any shame about that, part of being sex positive is being able to like control yourself and regulate yourself, even if you don't have a willing partner. And what I'm really talking, I'm going to give like a pretty blanket example, but like if I have a certain kind of kink and my husband is not interested in that or he's not ready for that or he's its just like, no. I then have the responsibility of regulating myself. Like I can't get mad at him. I can't coerce. like coercion happens so easily where our partner says no to us and we guilt trip them so much to the point where they just like cave and give in. Yeah, that's not consent. That's okay. cool. I would not consider that consent. I Good. would consider that like. I've been beaten down enough that I'll just like give in and and like I'm tired of you being on my ass about it. So I'll do no, it.
0: That very much tributes to a lot of the uh what I've hear a lot of women say where I just I was tired of hearing him ask about it. So I just So let I'm just him gonna cave
1: it. In. I'll just, just get it over with. Jesus. yeah. Know, I'll like, just get Whoa. it over Whoa. with. yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. that is not consent. Um and talk about impacting your mental health. Yeah. I mean, that is a depressing place to be in where If you're in any kind of dynamic where you feel like you're constantly being coerced, your voice is being taken away. Your consent is being taken away. And that's going to impact your health. It's not going to feel good. And so I'm always empowering my clients too. like part of owning your sexuality is not making demands. You Mm -hmm. cannot demand someone do what you want to do. Okay, You're going to have to figure that. You're going to have to figure out yourself like what this means for you. How are you expressing your, like, what is the emotional tie to what you like? And, mm. and can you help your partner understand that? And those are the, like the conversations to try to help navigate in my office, but that's the best way to handle it. And like, if I'm going back to, you know, like male, female relationship where, um, instead of course, like, let's just say you want to have sex and, and wife says, no, you know, go jack off. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. It's like if you want a sexual release and your partner is saying no, go handle yourself. Yeah. And if you feel like that's happening all the time, there's probably a really big emotional conversation to have about it, and mm. I can help you with that. But what I'm never going to be okay with is like the coercion, the guilt tripping, the getting mad, the get you know what I mean? Like there's a whole there's a lot of conversation to be had around that. And so that's kind of what I want to close it out, especially the tie into mental health. You don't need to coerce. I'm trying to empower you to own your sexuality. Part of owning it is
0: being respectful about yeah, people's boundaries and preferences. I completely agree with that. And I'm glad we're putting that message out because I sure did listen to a recent message of uh, Morgan and Paul, I think is their YouTube channel, where yeah, they had sex tips that they were giving. And obviously they're a couple that doesn't believe in masturbation mm. or any of the – in porn or any of those things they – think you should, you know, you just, you and your partner wait till marriage, you know, that type of sphere. Um, And yeah, I do remember seeing a very uncomfortable conversation where she was very aware that she was telling him no and he wasn't going to get sex that night. And you could see the emotional toll it took on him, even in the background when they're reminiscing on a past experience and how you can see how hurt he felt on how, where he felt like he was owed sex almost.
1: Yeah. And he
0: even said the words, you know, um, I wish... That, you know, whenever you felt like you didn't want to have sex and we're fighting and obviously you're not in the mood because we're fighting, that you would just, you know, maybe turn to your partner and be like, you know what, we're not going to agree on this issue that we're having, on this um, argument we're having, but let's go ahead and have sex. And when I heard that, it literally just everything, everything in me as a woman was just like, no, oh, (laughs) it's so concerning. It's so so
1: concerning. And oh, I just hate that. Yeah. I just yeah. hate that. So no,
0: I'm glad we're putting it out there that, you know, you're allowed to have your own desires and yeah, if two people don't necessarily match up. You know, there's a deeper conversation that needs yeah. to be had at that point. And I, yeah. I agree with that very much. So
1: yeah. absolutely. Okay. So, well, this was, I mean, this was a good conversation. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's so much in this context oh, and, and maybe I, me, me <laughs> I could talk about it for days. Um, but Hey, thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, you know next yeah. uh, next episode we will be talking about porn and yes. ethical porn um specifically yes and we will have a guest on we our episode have a surprise as well. guest
0: guys so tune in
1: yeah enjoy yeah tune episode. in and see who we're gonna have and uh yeah remember to our uh, yeah this is sex positive and filtered remember to stay curious and fuck politeness